2: This isn't just somebody's view. This is a material fact. The Bible existed as a collection of literature whose unity was wholly taking place in the minds of the people who grew up on this literature.
1: Story. walk the line be just in time to turn it back around
3: but I well this is uh this is special <laughs> we got a redo and we don't often get that so I'm yeah. very excited it is it's like it's like a redo it's kind of like um
4: revisiting something from your youth and you're a little bit more seasoned <laughs> yeah yeah, you've grown slightly, you've matured a little. You get to come back to something and and see it with new eyes, <laughs> right? And also make up for some foolish mistakes of the past.
3: What's what's funny is that uh looking back and thinking back, and I recently went back and listened to the original one and uh didn't just I didn't realize how green we were at the time. And for people that don't know, it, it, those of you that have been around with us since the beginning or have gone back to the beginning. God uh, bless you, first of all. Yes, Timothy Becky was uh literally the very first interview we had
4: ever done. Yeah. I was uh I was digging on this guy, uh still really like him a lot. John Mark Comer. Yeah. Out in the Pacific Northwest. Uh, he written this really cool book named Garden City. And I was listening to his sermons. And he has this guy cover his pulpit once named Tim Mackey. And I was like, holy heck, what the? F- <laughs> <laughs> this guy is amazing. Yeah. And um, he was preaching and teaching at uh, Western Seminary and um, Door of Hope Church in Portland. And they were just about to launch this project about the Bible and giving it more depth and breadth and giving people really accessible but but deep resources to help really expand what you can do when when you look into these ancient texts. And it's called the Bible Project. Yeah, you may have heard of it. And then uh holy cow <laughs> that blew up. Jiminy Christmas. <laughs> and uh it's just really it was an uh, it was just an honor to, to get to have Dr. Mackey back because we are really, really big fans. We've got a big old man crush on Dr. Timothy Mackey. He's a handsome man. He's a very handsome man. And he's just, <laughs> and he's just, uh, just, just the coolest guy, man. He's just the guy you just want to get a beer
3: with and talk about all the things. Yeah. Yeah, he is a wealth of knowledge. Uh, and, and like you said, he's, he's one of the few people who who said to us said yes to us early on uh when we had no business even reaching out to folks like him and so he will be uh in that small uh exclusive group of people who we are forever indebted to um, yes. Coming on and, and, you know, agreeing to be interviewed by two nobodies from the middle of the Midwest. So you can tell your mom. Yeah. You can tell your dad.
4: You can tell your pastor that doesn't want you listening to the Deconstructionist podcast <laughs> that the reason we even got started was because of Dr. <laughs> Timothy Freakin Mackey and the Bible Project. Yes. And we are true to our roots. And you know what? I'll never forget the email that he sent us because he's the first person we ever asked to be on the show. And it just said, Sounds like fun, exclamation point, cheers, Tim. (laughs) That's right. And that was it. And it was just Uh, like, oh, I like this guy. So um, this is our Bible series, you know, kind of our second crack at it. Yep. And uh, it's just a little short two-part series. Yep. And we just had Jared Baez on, and man, was that fun. Oh, great. Just, man, I I could talk all day about that. But um, this just was, uh, this hit me in a special place, and you guys... Anybody listening to this right now? You don't even know what content you're about to hear. Yeah, it is so freaking good. Oh my gosh! <laughs> just that's all I'm gonna say. I'm, yeah. We're just gonna roll tape. I, I got. No, I mean, what else you got? I, I just I just want them to listen. Let's to this. just get to it. <laughs> Thanks for everybody that's supporting us. Um, Merry Christmas. Yeah, Happy Hanukkah. Yeah. Happy Festivus Kwanzaa All of it Kwanzaa's starting soon It's a really great time of year Yeah Um, Ramadan in uh, January? Yeah, I think so Uh, I believe so Yeah. Anyway, um, we're always just, you know We just feel honored and privileged that you guys would spend time with us And download and tell your friends And hopefully it's been helpful on your journey So thanks for all of our Patreon supporters And anybody that's just kind of spreading the word And coming in and hanging out with us every once in a while It means the world to us yeah. Without further ado, let's do this. We bring you round two <laughs> of Dr. <laughs> Timothy Freakin' Mackey.
1: But this I call, this I call to mind, that I'm not alone, and I could come back home many times, so I...
4: Well, I'm, I'm really excited about this. Dr. Mackey, doc, Dr. Timothy, freaking Mackey, as we like to call <laughs> you, um, are returning, are return, our first guest ever, now returning to talk about the Bible and all kinds of other good stuff. Thank you so much yeah. for being with us again.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's great to talk with you guys.
4: So you've got a lot of stuff going on and uh, you've got multiple different podcasts and projects. Um, you, the Bible Project, you know, since the last time we had you on the show has completely taken off, and um, I yeah. also love your other podcast, Exploring My Strange Bible. What a great title of yeah. a podcast, first of all, and could you just kind of <laughs> catch us up on like what has happened in yeah. the last two years since we last talked, and what do you got going on?
2: Yeah, well, uh, a, a lot has gone on. It might seem like there's a lot going on. My life's actually more simple now than it ever has been, <laughs> which is really great, um, so yeah, right now my full-time gig is the Bible Project. So I'm thinking wow. two years ago when we talked, I was still part-time uh, serving as a pastor at yeah. a local church here in Portland and part-time professor at Western Seminary. That's right. So I had t- I had way too many part-time jobs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, I've stepped back from pastoral ministry about a year and a half ago to just focus on Bible Project full-time and then even recently, I've pulled back at my adjunct professor role at Western, at least for a season, to just focus on Bible Project and things going on there. So I've kind of funneled in on Bible Project. But awesome. um, yeah, I, yeah, there you go. Yeah, there are other things that are out there. There's a podcast catalog of all my old sermons. And it's kind of weird. It, I don't actually what, like to think about it. <laughs> well, I'm going to make you just talk like, about I don't it just know, a little bit. I don't bit. know how much I agree or disagree with my past self now. I, <laughs> I think probably a little a thing. This is good, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, what can you do? You, we <laughs> all keep learning, and so I'll often go back, I'll hear something I said a few years ago and be like, oh, wow, well, you should say it this way, or I don't <laughs> say it like that. Anyway, so, yeah, BioProject's my main gig. So we're doing uh, videos, videos. Um, the studios um really, man, an awesome team. We're working with, we're able to release videos every other week now, which is awesome. That's so great. Um we we moved to a seasonal schedule, so we're releasing videos ten out of the twelve months of the year. And then John and I, who co-founded the Bio Project, we talked together for hours and hours leading up to every video. And so he Edits and cuts all that together. Actually, we have also another awesome guy, Dan Gummel, who works with us to produce that. And so that's the Bio Project podcast. And uh, so there you go. That's my, all my efforts are, go, are going there. Here's what it is: is that I got handed this gift to do what I love <laughs> with my work days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so um, I'm kind of in this season right now where I'm, I'm not reading anything current. <laughs> or listening to that much that's current, and I'm just going back to school again, uh, just immersing myself in all things Hebrew Bible and Judaism and New Testament. It's just it's like I'm in grad school again, and it's so fun. So anyway, sorry you asked one question and I just talked for a long time. But that's, that's what we wanted. That's what, think, we wanted. that's what we wanted on my end.
3: Yeah, yeah. Perfect. So so you're going to be you were part of uh, a series that we did uh, almost we, we were talking about this before we started recording about two years ago. Um, you uh, were the very first guest we ever had on the podcast long before we knew um, what we were doing. And uh, so, we, we had uh-huh. you as, as part of our scripture series. So, we had a few uh, different people on to talk about the Bible. Um, and so, your background obviously, um, it, it, you know, is in um, scripture. And uh, I, I believe uh, we talked about last time, you know, how, how you can uh, translate the ancient Hebrew and all that good stuff. So so. I think the big question, the easy one to start off with is, is uh, who wrote the Bible then? The
2: Bible, then? <laughs> <laughs> well, then, let's wrap that up, shall yeah. we? <laughs> um, man, uh, well, uh, you know, a, a few of the. Well, first, let's just talk about what it even means to write a book like the Bible. <laughs> Yes. Yes. (laughs) Uh, So, I mean, it's not the kind of thing that comes into existence every day, right? Um, This is is what one Hebrew Bible scholar, a guy named David Carr, he calls the the Hebrew Bible a long duration text. (laughs) I like that. (laughs) It's good. So, So, in other words, out of the ancient world, what has survived? You know, mm-hmm. uh, the the ravages of time. Well, lots of boring stuff like receipts and divorce certificates. and Like literally, this is stuff people dig up. Um, <laughs> but then you have a few of the classic works that come from the ancient world, the Gilgamesh epic or Homer, right? He's the famous, it, the Iliad and the Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Um, but then you have the Hebrew Bible and then um, the apostolic continuation of it in the story of Jesus that we call the New Testament. And so it's, it's a kind of literature that was produced in a very different way than literature gets produced these days. Um, and uh, I don't know. We know more about, about it than ever in terms of how these kinds of texts were produced. It's the most interesting thing in the world. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, what do you, yeah, so help, help guide me. Like, what do you want me to yeah, that all, that I'm was, excited to talk that about That was an unfair question. No. <laughs> so, I, I think, I think <laughs> I we're making a that.
4: point that that's uh, not an easy answer.
3: That's kind of what, yeah, yeah. That's, that's where I wanted you yeah. to go. It's it's uh, So yeah. we've talked a bit this on previous episodes about how, you know, the Bible is this massive collection, almost a library uh, of writings mm-hmm. by different people and, and uh, different areas of that country over hundreds and hundreds in, of years. So so maybe you could talk a little bit about starting out with with the Old Testament so, yeah. what, what went into the creation of the Hebrew Bible? Like, uh, you know, how did they yeah. decide on which books and, and where did these come from?
2: Yeah. Well, um, maybe one way is to think about it from the end, the end result. Um, the end result, there's two metaphors I'm using uh, now that I think are, are helpful for how, how things work. One is like um, a cultivated uh, orchard. Of different kinds of fruit trees hmm. um, is, is something like what the Hebrew Bible is. Um, what it's not is like when you go to an, a nursery in the city and you have uh, a whole bunch of potted trees and big house plants <sighs> yeah. that have all been sco- scooted into a section together. Uh-huh. Um, that's not what the books of the Hebrew Bible are. In other words, that metaphor of the the city nursery is of they fully packaged individually, and then they just happen to be put all next to each other in a collection. Um, and that's exactly what didn't happen uh, with how this literature came into existence. The orchard is a way better image mm-hmm. of uh, in, in a, a group of texts that came into existence. Obviously, they're distinct. You know, Esther... Is in the Old Testament is different than Daniel, is different than the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. But the stories uh, and the books all actually had a mutually influential uh, set of relationships with each other. And so um, it's much more like an interconnected grove. It's interconnected on the subterranean level. So what I, what I mean by that is that the form of the books of the Hebrew Bible that we have them are actually a product of... of um, uh, Jewish, brilliant literary ninjas is what a friend of mine calls them. <laughs> um, who are inheriting material from way older. So you got we're like talking about a thousand year long process here, um, where there's um, there's oral traditions from our great ancestors, like from Abraham and so on, and then you get Moses. And he's in the mix, and he's doing a a lot of early literary activity. Then you get a David and a Solomon and all this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So this is all, and it's literature coming out of the story of Israel, and it is about the story of God and Israel. But then when um, the people are exiled to Babylon, um, and and this is like almost a 1,000 years into their tribal history, Mm. um, uh, there's a group of crazy people in the (laughs) tradition of Moses (laughs) They're called prophets or Nevi'im. And these guys are saying, yeah, this is is God's doing. He's destroying our nation. (laughs) He's allowing Babylon to come dismantle us and haul us off into exile because we haven't fulfilled um, the the purpose for our existence uh, in the world. And so nobody listens to these guys until... The it all hits the fan and they end up in exile in Babylon. And then all of a sudden there's this huge trove of literature that all of a sudden is being poured over and studied and prayerfully read and reread. Um, and it's the, it's the materials that will go into the making of the Hebrew Bible. But the exile was a really key watershed moment in uh, these texts coming together um, and you can just see it everywhere. I mean, the first story in the Bible is about a couple who's in the garden of God and they get exiled from it. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> yeah, man. And, they, and they wish they could go back in. The whole thing is a story of exile and of cycles of exiles. And so the exile to Babylon was a key, key moment. And then um, when the people come back into the land... Um, that's when the the books of the Bible start coming into shape as as we know them. And that process continued well up until just a couple hundred years before Jesus. And so this is why there's so much, uh, I call it hyperlinking between books Mm -hmm. in the Hebrew Bible. And that's that's the root system connecting it, the orchard of trees. And so you're reading the stories of Daniel, and it's all this patterning and stories, but it's all connected to the stories of Joseph. Two guys in the king's court having dreams, and there's all interpretation of dreams. And then you're reading Esther, and it's another couple in a king's court, except it's not dreams this time, it's decrees, and it's all, and they're all quoting each other. So here's my, my last metaphor. It's like a quilt. It's like, your, it's like a quilt, a family quilt mm-hmm. that um, you put together, inheriting quilt pieces from your whole family history, like going back generations. And so the material in the quilt isn't the same date as the final shape of the quilt. Are you with me? Yeah. Yeah. In other words, the the material in the quilt predates the final form of the quilt, but the final form of the quilt determines how you read and understand everything. And so, um, so anyway, there you go. That's in, in, in short form the the most fun thing to do is just dive into the text and just see how it all works. But, you, the, I mean, you've got your mind on Babylon and exile and the hope for new creation starting on page one of Genesis. That's I mean, amazing. the whole quilt is in mind starting in the early. So, that's not like a book you read in every other day, you know? Like, you don't go down to the bookstore and pick up a book like that. Right. Um, so, uh, that, I think that's why... The Bible presents a challenge. One of the many reasons it presents a challenge is because it's not like any other book that we really come into contact contact with. I t- sorry, I told you I can talk for a long time. But. No, no, that's great. So that's t- actually, tell, me what, tell me what you're hearing and, and what you're thinking. That is exactly what we want, so do not
4: apologize for that, <laughs> number one. So here's the question yeah, that comes sorry. to mind as I listen to you then, um, when I put myself in other people's shoes, and even and even me, this is a question that I keep wanting to hear more and more perspective on. So when we talk about yeah. this patchwork, and we talk about this orchard, and we talk about this process, and it's this unfolding, and this Gathering in this, you know, it's almost like a living organism, just kind of happening through space and time and coming yeah. together and, and yeah. taking form. What is holding it all together? What what is bringing it all together? And and why yeah. are some yeah. patches included mm. and others mm-hmm. and others not? That's I think that's a really mm-hmm. fascinating question for people that really start to get into what am I dealing with here? Yes.
2: Yeah, that's right. Well, yeah, um, yeah. So this is live life territory for me. I'm I'm trying to rebuild this from the ground up yet again. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. (laughs) Um, So a a lot of this has to do with the technology um, with which we meet the Bible. Um, So ever since the third or fourth century after Jesus, Mm -hmm. um, the main way that non-Jewish communities are coming into contact with the Bible is in the form of what we call books. Co- codec- codices or co- a codex, yeah. right? Single pages, back, front, and back, with the bound form. So um, that's a that's a post Christian technology. Um, some and actually, there are some nerds that debate if codex is predated that a little bit, but they weren't widespread until a couple hundred years into the Jesus movement. Um, and so that's significant because that technology, by its physical nature, implies a bounded set. Yes. Yeah. So what we we have to try and do is imagine that before that time, when the texts were actually coming into existence, the way people encountered the Bible was in the form of scrolls, independent scrolls, and their unity was a mental construct (sighs) that you conceive of them as a unified collection. Because there's no way the whole Hebrew Bible fits on one scroll. No. There isn't. There just isn't a scroll. So you could get it all on one big Torah scroll. Um, you couldn't get all the prophets onto one scroll, but you could get 12 small ones. One you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so j- just like that's this isn't just somebody's view. This is a material fact. The Bible existed as a collection of literature whose unity was wholly taking place in the minds of the people who grew up on this literature. So, that's significant. Oh, um, and what it seems like is the ancient um, Jewish communities didn't conceive of boundaries the same way that we do having inherited the um, the, the codex. And, and what I'm not saying is there was no such thing as scripture where people right. didn't have... Um, uh, I have actually started for this period to use the word scriptures, plural, Mm because they had a very clear sense of what our sacred texts are. Mm -hmm. But a lot of Jewish literature in this period that became the controversial literature later on about is this in the scriptural collection or is it not? Mm -hmm. Things like the Roman Catholic Apocrypha. Right. um, And these types of things. So they they were... well, here's what these texts are. We're actually, we're creating a whole series. A Deut- we're calling it the Deuterocanon series <laughs> oh, <cool. laughs> from, from the bio project. Yeah. Oh man, it's the coolest stuff in the world. And so what these works are is they're just works of biblical, ancient biblical theology. Um, and so you get a book like Judas, for example, and it's this story about a, a woman. Her name means Jewish woman. <laughs> huh. And um, she acts and talks like Moses, Gideon, Esther, uh, JL, and Deborah. She's like wow. all these characters put into one. And then the bad guys that she is up against through prayer, and she uses prayer and food as her weapons.
4: <laughs> That's
2: amazing. Uh, is like, is these kings of empires. It's it's a whole, it's it's the Assyrian, Babylonian, and Persian empires all in one enemy. Um, and wow. so it's a story that actually is summarizing all of the biblical stories about God's surprising way of raising up unlikely de- deliverers to exalt the poor and the oppressed and to bring down the mighty and so on. And so what's a book like that? It's about the Bible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is it, is, should it be in the orchard? Well, it's certainly an outgrowth of the orchard. Yeah. Like it is, it is itself a summary of all these other biblical books. Um, did people conceive of it as having the same status as Genesis? Well, no. Actually, the way people quote from it, people don't quote from it very much in the ancient period, but it still exists and it's awesome and it's a part of the tradition. And the apostles and Jesus knew about these other texts in their literary tradition And they don't seem to have treated them the same way, but they did read them, and they did care about these texts. Mm. And so I'm trying to find a way to think about this and talk about it to Protestants um, that doesn't, like, freak people out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because, again, our categories are molded by the Codex, and so it trains us to think, like, there's only this is sacred and the rest is, like, dangerous or heretical. And that's not how the early Christians thought about it, that's clearly not how the apostles thought about it. Yeah. Um, if you're from, if you're, sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not sorry, I'm not sorry, but I'll say one more thing and <laughs> No, please it. keep going. This is so gold. <laughs> if you just read the New Testament and it's very clear that um, the apostles are familiar not just with the Hebrew scriptures, but with the whole of their literary tradition. I mean, Jesus' brother quotes from a book called First Enoch, for goodness sakes. (laughs) Um, You know, in in the small letter of Jude, it's one page in the New Testament. Um, But it's Jesus' brother. And he's, you know, and so some people are like, well, what does that mean? Is it in his Bible? And it's like, well, there was controversy about that text. It doesn't seem uh, like it was accorded the same status as the scriptures, but everybody read it, and everybody thought about it because it was doing some serious biblical theology that people wanted to pay attention to. Mm. So we need a new category for even how to talk about what these texts are. The orchard metaf- metaphor is helping me, but then people say, "But isn't there a fence around the orchard? Oh and gosh. I, that, so that's a, so that, <laughs> but that's, quit a, good messing with my that's metaphor. a good point. That's good point.: So anyway, I, I, I'm still finding. Language to to talk about this that honors the Orthodox Jewish and Christian traditions of sacred scripture, but also meets the historical reality of the the messiness and the flourishing of of all this literature. Mm. Well, you skipped right ahead to
3: one of the questions we were going to ask, which is (laughs) we we get a lot of people who, who ask us, you know, like, what about these other books that aren't included? In the Bible, oh, you sure. know, and you reference Enoch yeah. and the Gospel of Judas and the Infant Gospel of Jesus and all these other uh, books that have been found. And so, what you know, why weren't they included? You know, what purpose do they serve? Yeah. You know, and and yeah. you and you know, you hear you hear responses to that here and there. And a lot of people are like, "Well, they're just they were written way too far later to be to yeah. be valid or accurate or, or or useful or you know whatever."
2: Yeah. Well, I, and so it actually is a bit of a different animal, I think, with post. Uh, New Testament mm-hmm. literature, S- same thing. I mean, the Jewish Christian tradition is just a text heavy religious culture, mm-hmm. uh, which was unique in the ancient world, you know, like if you, yeah, if your Roman neighbor is going down to worship Zeus, you know, at the temple, like they don't go down there and read texts with friends and like talk, ponder what <laughs> this text means. <laughs> like nobody's doing that in the ancient world, but that's what followers of Jesus are doing in their house gatherings. You know, it's just, it's remarkable. It really st- stood out. So we've always um, been the nerdy bunch. <laughs> yeah, <totally>. yeah <laughs> that's, that's awesome. awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So all that to say is like the literary production of the Jesus movement just kept churning full stream. Um, but there is something, there was an awareness that these earliest writings, what we call the New Testament, that they are chronologically the earliest and that they're connected first or second hand to the, the crew that was around Jesus himself. And that does seem to have been really important for that connection to Jesus mm-hmm. and to the apostles. Um, and so that's how the, the Hebrew Bible is different because um, it took place, it was shaped over the course of a millennium. Um, the, the apostles were a crew that were all alive together just for a handful of decades. Mm-hmm. And so once they pass, Um, literary production still keeps going, but that closeness to the first generation, I think that is important, actually, for the authority of the New Testament writings. But there are some people that disagree.
4: Man, so I've got a doozy for you here.
2: So, (laughs) um, you know, this podcast
4: is about um, a place that people can just... Really, just wrestle and doubt and, and question, and, and get into these kinds of conversations, and have no stigma yeah. or shame attached to it, and things like that. And what we, what John and I have found, especially, it was an assumption. I think the last time we talked, because we had no idea what we were doing, and, and <laughs> largely still don't. <laughs> right. But, but, but the assumption was, you know, a lot of the. Um, the shame and, and stigma that comes along with doubting or wrestling or deconstructing as, as we kind of call it always ends up se- coming back to and centering around what do we do with the Bible? Because we are such a rational um, tactile people that need something uh, concrete in in front of us for our religion yeah. often to make sense yeah. in America. So when things start to fall apart, first thing that, seems to be in distress is the Bible. So that's why we love having guys like you on that do the, the homework mm-hmm. and the research and have a deep love and affection for uh, the complexity and mystery of, of this thing. So mm-hmm. all of that mm-hmm. is an intro to my, my question is mm-hmm. the, the, the tough part for people here is we flippantly almost call this thing God's word. We just mm-hmm. say it, you know, like, like a catchphrase. Well, the Bible's God's word. And I would just love to hear your thoughts mm. on what, what do we mean when we call the Bible God's word? And have you seen this be problematic?
2: Mm. Um, sure. Of course it's problematic. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just go. Riff, riff what, on that. Y- yeah. Well, uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and, and focus and not say anything stupid. Um, <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. Uh, the tricky thing is, is that this is an ancient, Text that's precious. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful and precious, um, and uh, the first three quarters of it, you know, were the, the, were formative for Jesus himself and his view of reality and his view of his identity and what he thought he was doing, mm-hmm. and um, and then the texts that are, are connected to his closest followers are all about him mm-hmm. and what happened in his life, death, and resurrection, and so they're a precious gift. Yeah. Um, If not, and and they are many other things, but they are they are that. Mm -hmm. And so, um, however, they are they come from an ancient culture and were written in ancient languages, which means that um, I can't just assume that my first reading and what occurs to my mind when I encounter this text in translation thousands of years later. Is what it means, <laughs> yeah. and I think the I think the problem is that well, b- 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 one part of one problem um, is that we too quickly um, equate my interpretation with its divine authoritative message. Oh man! man. Um, so there's come there's some like deep humility and feedback loop um, that 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 I think the best of the Jewish and Christian traditions have always been in, in saying this is a great, beautiful uh, mystery that we've been handed, mm. which doesn't mean it's impenetrable, but it does mean I always I, my fundamental posture is humility mm. <laughs> and open-handedness with what I think this is saying. Mm. Um, because, man, the amount of times I thought I understood something <laughs> in this text or in this tradition and then come to realize... It's not even that I was wrong, it's that I just lacked the right framework. I wasn't even asking the right questions. I was asking the wrong questions and not seeing what was right there in front of me, just waiting for me to ask the right question. That, mm. I've had that so many times now that uh, it, just humbles, it just humbles you. So that's my first thought when I think about, I want to be quick to affirm, I think, that this text truly is the result of a divine human interaction that happened here and that we we are truly meeting a a, a beautiful mind and heart <laughs> that's not just human when we really are in tune with these texts and what they're trying to say i i really believe that and i experience that on a regular basis mm. but it's not something that i can like master by just having the right decoder ring of interpretation mm. it's something god's people have to humbly strive Towards by doing their homework and, and being humble about. So that that's the first thing that comes into my mind when I hear you talk about um, the Bible says or the word of God says. Mm. And I would just humbly suggest we say, my current best understanding ah. of what I think Paul, Paul <laughs> of what I think Paul is trying to say here, and to anchor it to the human authors that God um, chose to speak through. Um, and because the Bible says a lot of things, so <laughs> right. to me, it's actually more helpful to say. So, what uh, I think Paul is trying to get at here, or Peter, or what uh, for Hebrew Bible. Most of after Moses and David, they're mostly anonymous, you know. So, just the biblical authors. But mm. uh, anyhow, so that's uh, that's my kind of way of re- approaching that. Feel free to ask another part of that question if you want. But that's no, the first no, thing I thought
4: that's of. so good. I think you drove right at what. Um, what I've seen in my years as a pastor and as in my years as a congregant and just, you know, witnessing what I've seen in this podcast, you know, a lot of times when I see people throw around that phrase, you know, but this is the word of God. It's either Mm. stop, stop doing homework, stop asking questions, stop messing with it. Just accept it. Uh, Just, just believe it. Or it's um, a way of saying, I can't be wrong because Mm. I read it here and I know what it means. So, this is God's mm-hmm. word. It can't be. It can't be wrong. And it's like, well, yeah. w- wait a second. Self,
3: self-evident yeah. is what I've heard. Yeah, it's, sel- yeah, it's, it's self-evident. Self-revealing. Yeah. yeah, yeah,
2: that's right. Yeah. So uh, I mean, yeah, I think I just and and maybe it's that I I grew up. I became a Christian in my early twenties, and also my brain turned on in my early twenties. <laughs> and so you're ahead of uh, me, then. You're yeah. ahead of me. <laughs> I, yeah, I suppose. And so I, I, I don't know. I, I read. At first I was like, man, it was the whole world of like philosophy and um, culture and um, history and language and biblical studies and theology. I just loved it all. I eventually had to hone. Um, (laughs) But I read enough. Like, postmodern philosophy mm-hmm. to become self-critical of my own certainties. Yes. <laughs> it doesn't mean that you don't know anything or no. can't be sure of anything. It's just, it's, I think it's just called humility. And so, it seems to me this is the most plausible reading, and I think these are the reasons why. You know? And I, why not just say it that way? <laughs> I think that's beautiful. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, and because that because things will tweak can change. Like I was just saying, when I listen to my past self, even uh, things that I said, it's not that I think I was dead wrong. Uh, well, a couple things I think I I wasn't right, but usually it's like, well, <laughs> you just weren't taking this into consideration, or your framework was too small, or that kind of thing. And so that's true f- true for true for all of us. I mean, my goodness, what um, I often think about this in, in the four accounts of the Gospels, well, specifically Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Think how the disciples are portrayed as bumbling idiots in these stories who are so slow to grasp the reality that they're encountering, right, in Jesus. And think, this is a good example where the events recounted in the Gospels are from like the 30s AD. Those quilts with all the pieces put together came into existence decades after that, and they're being spread and passed around by the very people who are being criticized in the text. You know, like, you can imagine Peter showing up with Mark in hand and saying, here, listen, you know, I'm mostly an idiot here in this book, uh, but take me seriously here in the flesh. That's so funny. (laughs) I love it. And so, like, even, but my point is that built in to the Jesus movement from the beginning is a mode of, we don't really have any clue what's going on here. This is our best way to put language to what we encountered in the person of Jesus. And we're all slowly becoming, waking up to the reality of what Jesus did in his life and death and resurrection. Are you with me? It's built into the gospels itself, yeah. this progression of our learning and awareness. And well, to me, that's really important that isn't, that's built into the accounts of Jesus. Isn't it
4: even built into the Old Testament? I just listened to your sermon on Psalm 73 today about doubt and...
2: Oh. Yeah, sure. Yes, yes. Yeah. I I don't remember what I said. (laughs) (laughs) It was brilliant. Don't worry. uh, uh, I'll remind you later. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, totally. Oh, yeah, man. Talk about the Hebrew Bible. Oh, sheesh. You have every... The Hebrew Bible is so amazing, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) To have a book like Lamentations, a whole book that is anger directed at God. It's anger directed at God for the tragedy of Israel's history. I mean, what is happening? Mm, yeah. that's, in, that's a part of this scriptural collection, is a whole book venting anger, confusion, and frustration at God. So apparently this is a thing that we're going to experience in our journey with this God, and it's actually built into our tradition to teach us how to do it well. <laughs> oh, man. That's so incredible.
1: Said I can show you what can save you, but we need to go where no cherry
4: can take you
5: where the river
3: needs the same. Your yeah.
4: mic drop quote from... Just to remind you, and then John's got a question, because I got to let you know you're brilliant sometimes, even when you don't remember it. You were talking about Psalm 73, and you said, humans' words about doubting to God have become God's words about doubting to humans. Yeah, And then you just let everybody just get their minds blown for a second there.
2: (laughs) Yeah, there you go. That's what I'm saying right now about lamentations. But that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Humans' doubting words to God become... God's words to doubting people. What a remarkable, what is this thing? <laughs> yeah,
4: it's, it's amazing. <clears throat> it is,
2: yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a tradition that gives you all the tools for both building your faith and for uh, deconstructing it so that you can rebuild it on the other side of however many exiles that we experience in our seven, fourscore score and however many <laughs> years, you know? But yeah, it's remarkable. What a, what a, what a book.
3: Oh man, I, I want to keep you on this on this line of thinking here. So one of the things that I, I heard you te- actually right before we uh, interviewed you the first time, Adam sent me this teaching that you had done. Oh yeah! Uh, right before oh. you started the Bible project, and you did this amazing oh. breakdown uh, just of um, Genesis and uh, the 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 account of the creation story, and really yeah. just kind of step by step walk people through like. Because, you know, one of the big things that people always uh, criticize the Bible for is, well, you know, they're, they're talking about this firmament and this blue dome and, and, and scientifically it doesn't line up. And you had this really beautiful yeah. way of breaking it down. And and uh, I just wonder if you'd give us a little taste of of that.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, um, maybe just a, a quick, yeah, just a quick note on that. Yeah, I know um, that the, the first pages of the Bible... Are still extremely controversial <laughs> in many sectors of Western culture. I yep. mostly i don't tune in I don't tune into those channels anymore, but <laughs> I know that they are, you know, st- still controversial. Um, so uh, the, the way the way that at least things seem to me now is w- w- the problems on either the skeptic side of this is all ancient, like, primitive shepherd literature hogwash, you know, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, or that this is um, a divine blueprint for the origins of the universe, you know, direct from you dropped out of heaven, something like that. What what both of those mindsets are doing are taking a modern conception of the construction, our our mental model for the construction of the universe and imposing that, on this ancient text or expecting that w- the way I think about how the universe is put together is, of course, what I'm going to find in this ancient text. Mm, right. And if you just stop and think about it from that angle, that's like the worst form of, of international travel you could imagine. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like if you go to any foreign culture and um, just like drop... Like get out of the airport and just expecting everybody to speak your language and talk, you know, and you're looking for whatever the McDonald's or the fast food restaurants, you know, and your tube socks are pulled like way high and you're wearing shorts because you're an American. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like Yeah. When I when I (laughs) totally. So you know what I'm saying? Like this, we know that's rude. But but I would at least humbly suggest that's exactly what both of those modern mindsets are doing. Mm -hmm. And so again, what we need to do is humble ourselves and say, How um, God chose to reveal Himself through ancient Israelite literary ninjas, and so how were Israelites and their neighbors talking about their theology of creation and the way the universe is put together? And when you tune into that conversation, it's just so unbelievable what what's happening in Genesis one and two. For example, um, uh, the three tiered the three tiered universe. So that's exactly right. So cre- creation begins. That the uncreated state is a watery chaos, a dark watery chaos, mm. um, so in other words, the first sentence of the Bible uh, and there 's different ways to, to parse the grammar of what 's going on with, with the first sentence of the Bible um, but it's it 's some kind of introductory statement, so that the proper action begins in verse two, and the the, the action begins by telling you the land was a dark, watery wasteland. <laughs> <laughs> and um, God's going to breathe life and, and speak light into this. And what he does is separate the waters from the waters. And this is very, go to Israel's Egyptian neighbors, go to their Canaanite neighbors, go to their Babylonian neighbors. This is how everybody thought about things, mm-hmm. um, is that we live in a world where there's waters above. And it's not just because the thing's blue up there. It's because, like, water actually comes down from up there. <laughs> There's water up there. You know? yeah. <laughs> it's very intuitive. There's a bunch <laughs> of water up there. Uh, but it it comes down sometimes a lot, sometimes a little, sometimes we wish it was more. Um, and then we've got this land here. But if you dig a well down very deep, you know, or you just go, you hit these things, you'll see, like, water squirting up from down there, sometimes yeah. bursting up. What's yeah. that about? There's water down there, too. Yep. And so it's a view... Of the universe, as a three-tiered, like where there's waters above and there's waters below, both of which can sometimes threaten us. But not most most of the time, it's ordered here on the land where Mm. we live. Um, And so just that right there, like that's a very intuitive way for people to think about how the world is ordered. That's exactly what's being described for us on page one of the Bible Mm. is like the, the sky dome above the chaotic, dark ocean. I mean, you go swim in the ocean for two hours and tell me how that goes. Like, yeah. it's terrifying. <laughs> I don't belong there, right. you know? Um, and so we've got, but here we are. We have got, we have the land here, and it's wonderful, and it's ordered. Well, most of it is, right? There's, There's some places that are awesome, usually places that humans have cultivated, right, for life. But then there's also the wilderness out there, and that's crazy. It's dark, and there's... Creatures making crazy sounds that I've never seen before, and that's terrifying out there. Are you with me? This is yeah, the conception yeah. of the of the universe, and this is the universe being designed on page one of the Bible. Um, so, so an example like that makes perfect sense, where once you can, you know, I'm not going to, I don't expect to hear anything about uh, the Big Bang or quasars, you know, I mean? <laughs> right, <laughs> or <right>. dark matter <laughs> right. or gravity, you know, it's just like. It's an ancient conception of the world that's com- the vehicle of profound theological claims about God's character and nature and identity. So that that's an example uh, of reading the Bible in its ancient literary historical context. And uh, it's just so illuminating, I think. Mm. I don't know. I, um, I can say more about if I, I want to respond. Tell me what you're thinking. That's terrific. (laughs) Uh, If you could
3: just touch on a little bit, because one of the other questions uh, in relation to Genesis that always comes up is, why do we have two Genesis accounts of creation, and they're, and they're slightly different? Like, yeah. what?
2: How did that happen? Yeah, yeah, that's
3: right. And why well, did no one seem to uh, be bothered uh, oh. by this?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, you know, are you bothered on your family quilt that there's an orange piece next to a blue piece? I mean, like, does that bother you? Drives me, <laughs> drives me <laughs> crazy. Do you see that a contradiction. I want <laughs> you know? a blue quilt um, and only blue. <laughs> that's, right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, part of this is just how. Um, how the biblical authors communicate through, um, I mean, the nerdy term is their compositional strategies. So remember, they're not just writing whole cloth. The biblical authors are inheriting, preserving, passing along pre-existing materials. It's a quilt. This is actually a quilt, such a helpful image. And so there are actually multiple creation accounts in the Hebrew Bible. Um, there's two that are juxtaposed, put right next to each other on pages one and two. But turn to Proverbs eight, and you'll find another one um, that even uses the word "in the beginning." Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Except this time, it's a female character, Lady Wisdom, that Mm -hmm. God is Mm -hmm. co-working with to architect the universe. Mm -hmm. Or go to Psalm seventy-four, where God is um, splitting the head of a monster dragon, and um, and creating the the ordered cosmos out of the. Body parts of the dragon. You're that's my like, favorite. Oh, that's this going, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And again, so again, there's multiple ways that biblical authors talked about how God has created this ordered, um, coherent world that we exist. Genesis 1 and 2 obviously are giving being given pride of place at the at the beginning. And they overlap thematically in many ways. They don't agree chronologically. My goodness. You have a seven-day scheme. On page one, um, that uh, goes the land, um, then uh, the sky flyers and the water swarmers, (laughs) then the land creatures, and then humans are are the crown on on day six. And then you turn to page two, and you're back to wilderness again, except Mm -hmm. it's not a watery wilderness, it's a dry land wilderness. Um, And then you get humans first, and then all of the animals and then another human, because the first human needs some serious help. <laughs> True. <laughs> like he's, he's serious help, like not in the help of like English help. Did you know this? That the only other person who's called help in the Bible is the God of Israel. Yeah. <laughs> God's providing salvation for the man uh, yeah, he is. on page two of the Bible. Um, and, and so uh, so they're just those two right next to each other right? The chronological um, disconnect is blatant and explicit. Um, And it's not because the biblical authors didn't know what they were doing. It's because they had a different set of priorities than giving you video camera footage. Each of those different chronologies are giving you different aspects of thinking about the nature of creation and and of God's purpose. Um, Just the same way that a Hubble space telescope photo right, of the night sky, mm-hmm. um, differs from, you know, Vincent van Gogh as this famous, like, starry night right. yeah. painting. It's like a little European village, and it's kind of semi-impressionistic. It's all swirly, the stars and so on. And so those are both representations of the night sky. Mm-hmm. And you don't look at Vincent van Gogh's and say, oh, that's just art, therefore it's not real. No. Like, He'd seen the night sky before. He had a real night sky in his head, and he's representing the real night sky. But -hmm. he's doing it through a different medium. Um, And so there's something similar going on where the different creation narratives in the Bible are employing different frameworks, different media, different perspectives to talk about the same reality. And if that's the set of questions you're looking for, then, you know... It's it's as silly as asking why is there a blue quilt piece next to an orange quilt piece on the quilt? Isn't that a contradiction? You're like that's not even a question you put to a quilt. What a ridiculous <laughs> thing to say, you know? So something something I think similar it maybe I think can help us get our minds around a new new way to think about the stories.
4: So, you know, over the last you know half hour or so that we've been talking or however long it's been, as we're talking about this strange collection of literature and books and things and uh, mm-hmm. over a long time so many we, we've used so many phrases and metaphors you know compositional strategies oral traditions quilt authors times editing you know we know there was redact yeah. there's, you know there's all of these things yeah. going on and you know to somebody that you know is waking up to some of this stuff they may mm. say oh my goodness that's all very human activity. Yes. Uh, yeah, oral yeah. traditions, passing things down. How do we know that, we, that, yeah. that it's right? How do we know that we got it right? You know, and, and, it, and yeah. it, to me, it kind of comes down to, all of this comes down to the question of the divine yeah. human interrelationship that we're sitting with here and that we're talking about, that we're holding, that we're, we're passing yeah. down yeah. on and on. So, you know, what is it about that tension that is yeah. so difficult for us hmm. to make peace with?
2: Yeah, that's a great question. Um I mean, it might it might be that in our intellectual culture in the West, we are actually aren't as postmodern or post-postmodern. <laughs> uh yeah, cuz we have this thing about that the most important truths to grasp about reality are things that you can verify mm. empirically. Mm. Um and, but, but you think two seconds about that. That's a highly contested claim. Yeah. <laughs> you know? um, and not just saying that like, you, you can't quantify love in a relationship. Um, but the most fundamental questions that we're asking and that the scriptures are addressing is like, what on earth are we doing here mm-hmm. on the flying space, space rock? Like, why are we here? And like, what? And not just where did we come from in terms of like, show me the biological lineage, but like where ultimately is this all from Mm. and where ultimately is it all going? Um, Those aren't things that you can address in a, uh, the only way to talk about them is through the kind of literature that the Bible is the best version of, (laughs) which is literature and poetry and narrative. To explore um, the beauty that's in creation, and to explore the horror that's within creation and within us. Like, how do you? What's what's that about? Mm. Um, so, I, I, here's what I have found, and in most classes that I teach in biblical literature now, especially in the narrative books, I I anticipate beforehand all of the historical, like, questions that are come firing, you know, especially from Genesis or something. And I just invite people, I just say, like, those are very important conversations to have. We're not going to have one of them in this class about the book of Genesis. (laughs) What we're going to do is just sit down and attend to the book of Genesis on its own terms and try and, like, create a little inner Israelite, ancient Israelite in our heads and Mm -hmm. read read it and try and hear it as if i were that ancient israelite and w- what i find is that once we once people encounter when i encounter the real sophisticated claims that these narratives and poems are making the questions just change entirely like the historical questions yeah they're they're significant but they're not nearly as significant as what this text is actually saying about the nature of human you know the nature of human humans and the human condition and what the problems are, and so that's my current strategy is actually to suspend disbelief or suspend those questions and just in, in, hear these texts as best as we can on their own terms, and it just changes everything man i don't know how many times i've come in i've like been teaching a class on, on or in the Torah, the Pentateuch, and I've had experience, I have them personally. And then I have students who are just like, I, the Pentateuch was actually, the first five books of the Bible were becoming the main stumbling block to my faith in Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like all the, there's crazy, crazy stuff in there. Crazy, yeah. But once we're able to, to see what they're communicating on their own terms, mm-hmm. it's mind, it's mind blowing. It makes me cry. It's oh, just so yeah. profound. And I feel like I'm, someone's reading my mail when I read these texts and like I'm encountering another mind, a mm. beautiful mind. <laughs> mm. And uh, to me, that's my experience of these texts as speaking a divine word, me, hearing God's word is when uh, I feel like the, the Bible is actually reading me as much as I'm reading it. And that only happens when we humble ourselves and push pause on our urgent questions and find that I don't think they're so urgent. Maybe after all.
1: Dark, in the shadows has come in the quiet, in the glory, glory yes
3: yeah, so, so is that sort of the same approach you take? I know a lot of people are like, "Ah, I can't be Christian because there's so much violence specifically in the Old Testament." And so I always sure, ask myself, yeah. I'm like, is it, is it really God uh, conducting violence or is it mm. man's uh, yeah. interpretation of, of, or trying to make sense of the hardships around them?
2: Um, Yeah, that's a, that's a complicated, it's a multifaceted question because uh, much, if not most of the violence, you're right, is um, just screwed up humans doing terrible things to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, they often are humans that God has committed himself to. And so I think that bothers us that God would commit himself to people like that. Mm. Um, But that is itself part of the message. It's about God marrying himself to humans as he finds them um, so that he can transform them into humans as he knows he's made them to be. However, there is a whole category of material, especially in the Hebrew Bible um, about divine violence, mm-hmm. divinely sponsored or initiated violence, um, but those narratives there is more than meets the eye there absolutely mm. um, and and what you what I urge people not to do is um, allow their memory to um, recall those stories for them, but to actually read them slowly and carefully, and you 'll find that there 's a lot more going on there. And it's hard to summarize because every narrative is doing something a little bit different, <laughs> you know? Uh, but, but maybe, so here's just cla- the most classic example. Do we have a minute? To oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, go this, for it. The, so like the, the flood story. So there's two two things happening with the flood story. One is an ancient Israelite dialoguing with their Babylonian neighbors. Mm. So flood, flood stories are, um, there's a dominant narrative out there about the flood story. Um, just... It, there's like a there's a viral trending Twitter feed happening. <laughs> yeah. right? you mean this j- isn't about,
4: just in the Bible?
2: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, um, in the ancient in the ancient world, and of course, I mean, um, whatever you want to say about hu- human origins, um, there was a huge, important watershed culture happening in the Mesopotamian river deltas. Agriculture, domestication of all kinds of animals, that's happening there, like for the first time. And so it's also a region that is catastrophically flooded on a cyclical basis. And so, of course, of course, there's going to be um, narratives about floods that are really ancient and really central to how people see the world and how they would experience it. So here's how the Babylonians told the story. And you can go, like Wikipedia, go down to your bookstore and get it today. It's called the Gilgamesh epic or or another version in what's called Atrahasis. And so here's the story. I'll try and summarize it briefly, but it's so fascinating. It's There's a multi-tiered view of the, of the gods. There's polytheist culture. And so there's like the super high gods, um, Enlil and his... Consort wife, and then there's like the medium level gods. They're called the Igigi. I like them, Igigi. Uh, And then there's the lower level gods, and they're like the slave gods who do all the work and get all the food for the higher gods. And so these gods, they get uh, fed up with being the servants, and so they propose this plan. Actually, they staged the first walkout. It's literally like a protest walkout. (laughs) And uh, they, and then their proposal is: let's make a new creature that will provide food for all of us and we'll all be a little bit better off. And so what they do is they kidnap one of their own and then they slit the throat of a deity and pour his blood out into the dust and then is molded the first humans. And the humans are molded of the, of the blood of the gods and the dust of the land and their, ex- their purpose for their existence is to be slaves to the upper tier of gods. Um, but here's the thing is that um, the humans multiply like rabbits because they love to have sex. And so, <laughs> <what> the- <laughs> so then, then the gods are re- regretting this decision that they've made because there's way too many of them multiplying. And so the upper tier gods decide to wipe them all out and descend a flood, a catastrophic flood that will kill them all. Except one of the lower tier gods feels bad about this because like, oh, we're responsible for this whole mess. And so they send a messenger to one guy, Utnapishtim, and they tell him to build a boat. And to get animals to take on the boat. And then there's a flood that lasts seven days. And then he tests to see if the dry land is dry by sending out birds. And are you with me? Oh, it's just absolutely. Some, it's, it sounds familiar, Tim. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but but also it sounds really unfamiliar, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. So you can see what's happening. So the biblical author is taking a dumb uh, like a trending Twitter feed. Yep. Here's how my culture talks about it. I believe in Yahweh, creator of heaven and earth. And in Yahweh theology, humans are not slaves to the gods. Mm. They are kings and queens of creation meant to sit at God's right hand Mm. as his fellow kings and queens. And so that's what you see in Genesis 1 and 2 is the enthronement of humanity. Again, divine and human, right? The breath, Mm -hmm. not the blood of the gods, but the breath of the gods and the dust. So you can see the biblical authors are taking elements of the dominant cultural narrative but they're also subverting and critiquing it at the same time. And so in the biblical version of the flood, God isn't fed up with humans multiplying. What you can't believe is that they're spreading Hamas. They're spreading violence and injustice Hmm. um, and corruption. And so what the flood story is, is you take all of, remember the three-tiered universe we talked about in Genesis 1, separates the waters from the waters. And then keeps the waters up there, and then mm-hmm. uh, submerges the waters under the land here. And the flood narrative is God responding to humans, unleashing chaos into the world by God releasing the world back to pre Genesis one. So the sky dome collapses, and the and right and the water underneath the earth bursts out. And so it, it's a it's a conception that God is the one holding back chaos, mm. and he enthrones humans as kings and queens. To rule creation and to help spread order and beauty within it. But when humans release violence and chaos into the world, God gives creation over, so to speak, to our chaos. And creation responds to our chaos with its own form of chaos by killing us, too. Wow. Um, and so, dude, tell me, dude, tell me that doesn't have any modern implications. <laughs> that, <laughs> yes. That is and to, so, like, tell good. me, it's so profound what's happening there. So that changes, is God the one responsible for the flood? Well, yes, but when you see what's happening, you, God, God's not angry. Actually, in the introduction to the flood story, God's motivation isn't anger, it's grief. He's brokenhearted that yeah. humans have done this to his world, and he's just, as Paul says in Romans 1, he hands creation over mm. to the ruin that we introduce into it. And so, is there a lot to wrestle with there about God's character? Yes. But it's like, it's different. It's a different set of issues than just like, oh, God, it's an ancient primitive angry God who hates humans. It's like, no, no, you're substituting the Babylonian version for the biblical version, right. which is exactly the opposite of what the authors were trying to do. Mm. Anyway, maybe that's kind of, that's been a helpful example for me re- recently to think, think about the difference, about oh, divine violence.
3: So helpful. That's really good. And it, I've been reading a ton of... Um, uh, uh, different rabbis and their perspectives on the on the Hebrew Bible just to get a, a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I noticed that you mentioned there um, that I think is fascinating is this idea that um, you know the uh, early Christians and, and the Jewish people were borrowing ideas or, or mythology uh, from other uh, cultures that, around them and using it almost as a vehicle to communicate some beautiful idea.
2: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what else? Um, though I, I've actually come and I would humbly suggest this, that I think the word "borrow" um, is, doesn't quite do the work that we want it to. When we, because t- uh, for example, like when I when I talk about like gravity, mm-hmm. I'm not borrowing from modern physics. You know what I, mean? oh, right. I just it literally it's my it's my conception of the universe. It's the fish tank that I'm in, and so when I speak with language about the world, or about how we conceive of things, it's because it's literally my shaping environment. I, I, g- I got what I'm you're saying. T- Good, yeah. w- w- but if I'm exposed to a counter-narrative, now I can employ different language to critique the dominant narrative and begin to see the fishbowl f- for what it really is, expose it for what it is, which is a human construction. Hmm. And, and so I, I think that's... A, At least for me, that's a more helpful way to think about the biblical authors. It's not like, oh, they just are borrowing Babylonian mythology. It's, no, dude, they envisioned the world as a three-tiered world. Yeah, they were using Um, the language. And they knew. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So they're thinking within the categories that they have at the time, and what else can humans do, you know?
4: Yeah. So they're aware of the category, just like the other cultures around them. That's why they share so, so many similarities. But there's almost a new consciousness moving out Mm -hmm. from that, that becomes like a polemic Mm -hmm. to that
2: place that they're in. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and so the Hebrew Bible tells, it tells, you can believe it or not believe it, but it it represents um, the history of a people group who encountered something Mm. that they could not explain that gave them this new awareness of life and its meaning. Mm. And the thing that they encountered, they they b- believe that it's a being who revealed himself to them as I am. <laughs> and as my friend likes to put it, um, this family of people stuck their fork in the light socket, you know? And <laughs> I was not expecting you to say that. <laughs> <laughs> like they just, something happened to this family of people throughout their history that's utterly remarkable. That's awesome. And that we're still talking about to this day. Mm. The, like. Believe it or not, believe it. You have to provide an explanation for this people group and their existence through the centuries. Mm. Are you, like what other people group exists intact <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> from that long ago with their traditional literature? Um, much less, um, and you know, if we're using. Whatever happened in Mount Sinai, we're in the Exodus, I think was a pretty significant fork in the light socket moment. Um, and then I, that's the claim that the apostles are making about Jesus. That was another, like, kicked it up to a whole new level. And what you see the apostles doing is using Jewish and now also Greek and Roman categories and language uh, and conceptions of the world to uh, critique and subvert the dominant narratives, the imperial narratives of Greece and Rome. And, but they're doing it in light of their radical encounter with Jesus and the spirit. Mm. And uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Believe it or not, you have to at least just read it on its own terms and let it say what it's saying. Yeah. I love that. That actually
4: reminds me. There's a, there's a great book out there by a guy named Thomas Foster about how to read literature, like a college professor. And he kind of, he kind of makes the same point actually. Uh Like if you're going to understand anything about American literature you have to you have to wrestle with the Bible and everything that it says. You have to. Yeah, yeah. You, or you're going to be left yeah. out. So that's that's a great yeah. kind of reason, yeah. you know, to, to be here. But I, I have kind of a sub-question real quick to the yep. question that John asked, and you went into all this stuff about Noah. So uh, one of the – this is testimonial to me. I'm not just speaking for listeners here. You know, so pastor – Deconstructing, really loving all the wrestling and doubting and questioning and, and exploring that's happening, and uh, the Bible project's been wonderful. And exploring my strange Bible has been wonderful. There's so many great resources out there for people that find themselves in our kind of place to have these conversations and not lose our mind and our faith and go crazy and you know almost have a new kind of faith and and, and new embrace. But here's here's the question for you, Tim, a oh, oh, wise doctor Mackey, what do I do with my kids? because <laughs> because when i i want to read the bible with my kids and i do and i'm reading yeah. stories like like noah and i'm like oh man how do i tell them about gilgamesh and
2: oh yeah <laughs> you know like yeah. what do you do yeah totally uh that's a great question i don't know my i have two boys they're 5 and 7 and i am figuring it out just okay. like you. <laughs> That's so comforting. No, honestly, that's, that's so comfortable yeah. for me to hear.
3: We both have five year olds as
2: well. So this is good. <laughs> oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. You know, so I'll just tell you my current strategy is um, mostly just tell stories about Jesus. <sighs> so good, man. In terms of like, if I have a book open that they're associating with the Bible, it's a story about Jesus or something that he said. Mm-hmm. Uh, we recently actually introduced um, Proverbs. That's
3: good. Um, that's introducing good.
2: a proverb a week. And, and actually, because there's so many good ones that are like little riddles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like little word puzzles, you know? And so I find that my kids actually love them because it's like a little puzzle. To, to, and then you talk about it, you know? Um, the one without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. And you're just like, so good. Who doesn't want to talk about that? So anyway, Proverbs and Stories of Jesus. Um, so good. And what I, what I find is when I, for like bedtime... If I just verbally kind of creatively retell an epic narrative like the Joseph story of Joseph mm. and his brothers or Saul and David and break it up, you know, just into like a week's long worth of exciting episodes, <laughs> I kind of I do that sometimes. Um, but it's kind of freestyling. I love you know? that. <laughs> Going back to the oral and, tradition. Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, But at some point, you know, I do want to... I mean, they see me reading a lot, and so I trust that's making a positive association too. Like, my dad talks about Jesus a lot. We talk about these cool Proverbs at dinner, and he reads that book a lot. <laughs> that's <laughs> and, awesome, man. I hope what they also think is he loves me. And so like, <laughs> yeah. it's all like one like pack, good package deal in their minds so, so that good. one day when they actually learn how to read, and we actually read these texts together and talk about them, that, that I won't have to Unlearn as much, you yeah. know. Have them unlearn as much. but I don't know. Ask me in a decade, and I'll <laughs> tell you how it goes. Well, <laughs> All I, this, and then I'll ask you in I a hope decade. We do. Too. I hope yeah. I get to. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah. Oh man.
3: Well, I I just have one last question for you. And then Adam's got uh, a really great question to to, to end sure. our time together because I know we're running short here. But um, one of the things that you brought up on our on our first time together that I thought was really interesting, but we didn't really get a chance to really get into it too much, was you mentioned uh, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And mm-hmm. I am a huge history nerd, so anytime we make some sort mm. of archaeological discovery, I'm fascinated mm. by it. So, what yeah. what is the importance of something like the, you know, find like the Dead Sea Scrolls? Um, and for those who aren't familiar with it, what what are they? And why is that type of discovery so important?
2: Oh, man. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, it's actually one of the most well-known biblical scholarly kinds of things that ever hit the public awareness Um, So, yeah, this is out uh, east of Jerusalem, down near the Dead Sea. There's a a set of caves near a flat plateau cliff um, where there was some kind of ancient settlement. Mm -hmm. And then uh, in these caves were found um, ancient pottery jars, which is loads of scrolls in them. And turns out many of them were scrolls of biblical texts and then a lot of other literature as well. Some of it that had been known previously. And it's literature that we might call the Apocrypha or Pseudepigrapha. And then there's just other works altogether. Um, th- those works that I mentioned are part of the grove of trees that we talked about earlier. Yes. The, the lar- you know, the trees that are a little further out from yeah. center. Yeah, the offshoots. The but, offshoots. They're, but, they're, but they're offshoots. So some of those were found there. Enoch, copies of Enoch were found there. Um, but then also all this other literature. And then the consensus theory is that these caves and that literature is connected to the people who lived in the settlement. Um, which was a, a whole little network of buildings. So you put, put all the pieces together. The consensus view is this was a, a group of um, disenchanted or even um, secessionist, secessionist uh, mm-hmm. priests from Jerusalem who withdrew into the desert because they believed that the temple in Jerusalem had become corrupt and compromised um, by its current leadership. Um, and so, somewhere in the 100s BC, this is pre-Jesus. They go out to the desert and they form an alternate temple liturgy. They're praying at the same times of at the same times that the priests are praying in Jerusalem. They have their own liturgy, um, and they are offering sacrifices of prayer to replace the corrupt sacrifices in the temple. It's so fascinating. Mm. And so they um, they took their biblical texts with them. Um, so, this revolutionized, this is like finding an ancient library of Bible nerds who who used to live in Jerusalem. <laughs> our, our kind of people. <laughs> where where the, where the final form of the Hebrew Bible was likely produced. You know what I'm saying? So, we're like near ground zero here for the where the quilt came from. Oh, and we're surely looking at descendants of people who actually worked on the biblical quilt material, that kind of thing. And so, dude, these guys, their literature they produce is so awesome. Imagine a group of people who've never had their brains melted by Twitter or TV, their only form of media is the biblical literature, Hebrew <laughs> literature. <laughs> and they've grown up from their earliest memories, singing it, hearing it, chanting it, saying it, holidays, mom, with dad, it's written on my doorpost. I mean, it's just like that's the level. And so they withdrew to the desert to read the Bible, wait for the messianic kingdom of God, and to live out there, wow. so um, the versions of the biblical texts found there are fascinating because they we all of a sudden jumped like five hundred plus years into the past with access to manuscripts of biblical texts, mm. and they give us a fascinating picture of the f- of the fluid, still forming nature of the text of the Bible. Um, uh, that's interesting, you know, they give us a window into the final stages of the formation of the Bible. Yeah. But then also what they give us is, a, is how Jews thought and talked because the way that they write and think is very similar to a lot of what we see in the New Testament. And so um, the gap between the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament all of a sudden just got like filled in. There's like almost a continuous line now of what we know about Judaism, And it helps us correct lots of misunderstandings about Jesus and Paul that have floated around for a long time. So there was almost no topic in biblical studies that wasn't. Revolutionized by the discovery of, of the scrolls. Man. That was not a short answer. Wow. <laughs> no, that's great. No, but it could have been yeah. much longer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> this is true. No, no, yeah, that, that was true. That was, so that was great. read them. A great uh there's a penguin, you know, penguin mm-hmm. classics, little yeah. cheap paperbacks. There's called there's a penguin classics versions of the most important Dead Sea Scrolls and just go buy it dollars 5.99 online and you just it's the coolest stuff in the world. Oh, Maybe I'll be doing that it. tonight. Maybe <laughs> yeah. we'll make that our, our book club
4: <laughs> yeah. Ooh, book club feature. That's a good one for yeah. the for the month. Yeah. yeah. Okay, last question, Tim. Dr. Freakin Mackey. So, <laughs> I'm, listen, I'm uncomfortable with that by the way. You're <laughs> <laughs> our people. You're our people. All right, fair. So, enough. All right. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it, it, as we're listening to this, it seems to me and and even listening to you know a lot of the bible project and uh, this is my my kind of take on things when we're looking at the scripture and this whole story and, and the the patchwork you know coming together and, and moving from one period to another and awareness growing of uh this this god they're encountering this 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 socket that they've stuck a fork into you know this <laughs> this ongoing progressive kind of understanding would would you are you comfortable Saying that, is the Bible a progressive revelation, you know, a progressive unfolding that's got a trajectory mm. that's headed? Mm. Um,
2: is that? Um, yeah. I, I, I'd I, At least at, at this moment here is maybe how I'd frame that. I'd yeah. say it, it um, be, because it's a quilt, mm-hmm. the, because the Hebrew Bible is a quilt, mm-hmm. uh, whose final shape all comes from one kind of final <clears throat> Compositional stamp. Yeah. Um, In that sense, there isn't progression because the end is in view from page one. Oh, okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. In other words, so um, that's why, for me, an example Genesis three fifteen talking about a future seed, a descendant who's going to crush the head of the snake, but Mm -hmm. also be bitten by the snake that that got lured humans into this whole mess. So some people to be like, ah, see, it's an ancient primitive prophecy. But no, think of the people who framed the quilt, which is the final literary context of the whole Hebrew Bible collection. They've got their eyes on that, as well as all the stuff in Isaiah and the book of Daniel. And for them, it's all one simultaneously coordinated library of hyperlinked material. Um, it's like yeah. a it's like a set of Wikipedia pages. Mm. So, in terms of what the Hebrew Bible is communicating, I think it's it's a statement. Mm. It is itself a hugely complex but coherent statement um, and claim, the, set of theological claims. But the actual events that it's representing mm-hmm. do represent a long history of people who are undergoing experiences and this progression that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But um, To me, it's important to separate that from the theological statement being made by by the the Hebrew Bible. Mm -hmm. And I I guess for me, that's that's significant because when Jesus tells his followers, you guys, why didn't you read the Hebrew Bible? Didn't Mm -hmm. you read the Hebrew Bible and get it? Yeah. Right? You know? And I think he really means that. I think he does too. Yeah. and, And not just like, if you just read it now with the secret Jesus decoder ring, then you could make sense of it. There were Jews before Jesus waiting for a human fully unified with the God of Israel to come rule the world on God's behalf and to suffer on its behalf.
5: Hmm. Like
2: that's what the Hebrew Bible is about. Humans ruling the world beside God, but now having to account and deal and overcome all of the evil and violence that we've caused in the world. And so Jesus really sees himself as the fulfillment of a thing that the Hebrew Bible is about, So to me, that's what's important. That's why I'm responding to what you're saying in in this way. In terms of what actually happened in the history Mm -hmm. represented by the Hebrew Bible, of course there's a progression there. But um, that progression is not, I don't think, what God wants to communicate. Like what he wants to communicate is, I think, what he guided these people to frame in the Hebrew Bible. And then what Jesus said, yeah, that's me. I'm that I'm that. <laughs> the thing that that's talking about is the thing that I am. And then, boom, pff, the story like goes into the next phase. Um, so that's my current way of framing it. I I I don't. I like did that. I interrupt you? No, not at, no, not, <laughs> I a, don't not think at all. I did. No, yeah. I, it was. Maybe it was time, kind of a, I know we're trying to close. are trying to close down. but totally to The follow up of like, what's motivating the, that question on your? Yeah, on no, your
4: I'm head. glad you asked. What's motivating the question? Because one of the things, the difficulties that I've had in in kind of trying to figure out what to do with this book now, kind of a where do we go from here kind of deal. Mm. It it seems like mm-hmm. when you read the Bible that there is this sort of like people are starting to get things and ethically and politically. Mm-hmm. Um, and even socially yeah. are moving in a direction kind of with ah, a realization of what it means to be human and, and divine. Um, what it means to have that, I don't even know if I'm yep. comfortable with the phrase Christ consciousness or, you know, whatever, but, um, yeah, yeah. is it new still, creation. yeah, new creation. That perfect, <laughs> perfect for you. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. exactly what I was looking for. Um, is that still moving us forward mm. or mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Is, is there, is there a progression yeah. now? Kind of coming yeah, out of well, it. Well,
2: yeah. Well, I, I think this is where I think this is where Jesus and the apostles pointed towards in their different ways the role of the Spirit to mediate mm. um, the loving covenant relationship between the Father and the Son to all future generations, so that what was shared between them as that eternal community of love is something that people are invited into mm. right this is john i and them and you and me and i and you and all oh, yes, this this yes, kind of yes, thing you yes, know yes, it's that yes, thing yes and so it's call it eternal life call it new creation but it's it's something that that the new humanity is invited to participate in mm. and when we do that it just the whole everything changes and how you see human relationships changes and so i think that's the kind of thing that we can see with hindsight and really amazing moments um, where followers of Jesus have been able to be a part of new creation breaking into the world. Um hmm. And what some people will label as those moments, other people won't label as those moments, right? Yeah, yeah very so
5: true.
4: So like
2: ones that, that's, that sell like popularly now or like, op, you know, abolition of slavery or something. You're hard pressed to find somebody to say that was a net loss for the human race. You know? <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but of course, in the moment, it was extremely controversial whether that was an inbreaking of of new creation by the work of the spirit, right? Yes. And so... I think that happens in every generation, mm. and there's no book written about it. That's, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, got, you got exactly where I was the, trying to go with this. It's, yes. It's the work of the Spirit. And so I'm not just saying it's a free-for-all. I mm. think it's the, it's the burden of every generation to discern mm. how the work of the Spirit is in continuity with everything right, that mm. God's been up to, mm-hmm. yeah. and that it fits within right mm-hmm. it fits in the grove in yep. the orchard <laughs> we, yep yep we we can um and but there's going to be a lot of responsibility that we have to discern how and when something is new creation and when it's half just our creation and half new creation so ah, uh, there you go now let's i'm talking do it. about my pig. let's do it <laughs> let's do
4: it thank you
2: so but much but that's the challenge oh, that's man. the challenge isn't it yeah so well it's you're having fun
4: and yeah. you're helping people have fun doing it and we we can't tell you how much we appreciate it
2: yeah that's great it's great i count it the greatest privilege that i get to spend my my days doing this and um that like I, talking with you about these things is is something that we can we can do what a remarkable world we live in yeah oh, so fun so <laughs> yeah. normally normally before we before
3: we say goodbye, we always ask the guests to tell us where to find their, their latest work, and of course, we'll put all of that stuff in the show notes, but I would much yeah. rather ask you, uh, since we have you on, uh, what are some good resources uh, for folks out there who are really struggling with uh, reading scripture and, and really having a hard mm. time absorbing it? What are mm-hmm. some of your favorite resources, mm. besides obviously well, your podcast, So, which I would yeah. recommend?
2: Um, yeah, sure. Yeah. So yeah, we have these yeah, the resources we're putting out there through the through the Bible project. Um You know, I don't I'm a bookworm, and so like naturally I have my mind just like to recommend books to people. You <laughs> do. Yes, too. yes yeah. us too. <laughs> but I know that's not how everybody processes the world. Um But for those who are book oriented, um the works of uh, a New Testament and a Jewish studies scholar named Tom Wright or N.T. Wright. Oh, yeah. yep. Um, seriously, just pick one. He's written yeah. <laughs> so many books, um, but he has, you know, he has a, a, a series of books that have black and white covers, mm-hmm. and then he has a series of books that are just huge and fat. I like them <laughs> both. I like them both. <laughs> yeah. i am read yeah, them all. Yeah, and, Love them uh, both. Yeah. He has a way of inviting people into a serious... Um, conversation about faith and history and biblical studies and bi- bi- scriptural texts in a way that I find ima- just spurs my imagination. Yes, It's not boring and it'll change the way you see everything forever. And then what I just recommend is follow his footnotes. Yes. Read yeah. N.T. Wright and follow his footnotes. So and, good. Um, and you, that'll at least... Take you a few years, (laughs) (laughs) yes. And by and by then, I'll I'll be on again, and I can give you the next.
4: And let me just let me just say, as an interviewer's note, both you and he, because we've interviewed both of you. Get yeah. just as giddy and excited when you talk about this stuff, ah, and it's yeah, infectious. It is infectious, yeah, and we great. love it, and that's yeah, why yeah. we love having you guys. Actually, on. here,
2: sorry, let me let me recommend one other author because he's sure. Hebrew Bible guy is Jay Richard Middleton. Have you reached out to him? You should interview him, J. Oh, no. Richard Middleton. No, we need oh, dude, to though. He has a book. He has a book on the image of God. Called, it's about the image of God in its ancient context yeah. called "The Liberating Image." <laughs> And then he has a book called The New Heavens and the New Earth, Reclaiming Biblical Eschatology. Did you get all that, John? Dude, I'm all about and it. And <laughs> he grew up in the Caribbean, so he's, he's a Caucasian with a Jamaican accent. What? You must interview him. <laughs> Done. Wow. <laughs> we're
4: name-dropping you. Yes. We, we're going to yes. say reaching out <laughs> yeah, to deal. Richard I've never met
2: him, but his books have had a huge influence on me. Read <sighs> his books. They're so helpful. So, so helpful. So cool. Thank you. Yeah, yes. Man. Yeah, you're welcome.
4: Man, this was a blast. <laughs> Thank you so much I'm sure you've
2: got A lot of
4: stuff to do You've got Multiple (laughs) podcasts To put out And material to create And family to love And a city to Dig into So thank you Thank you so much Yeah
2: Yeah You're welcome you guys That was a really good conversation Yeah All right. well We'll catch you next time Cheers Sounds good
1: A voice came and spoke To the silence The words took on Beauty and form the form took its shape as a garden was born.
3: I mean, never fails. <laughs> he, he's so brilliant. And I the one of the things that I love the most about him, I think, is um, way back when, when we had him on the first time, you were giving me some introductory uh, Dr. Timothy Mackey material. And so mm-hmm. before the Bible Project had come out, uh, obviously that would have been way easier. I could have just you know, torn through that as you do, but you had sent me this sermon, this teaching series that he had done oh, I on the book of Genesis. Mm-hmm. And I remember listening to this guy and I was like, that's the first time I've ever heard anyone break it down in a way that like blew your mind. Yeah. It doesn't devalue it. Uh, but like, makes me see it in a way that I've never considered it before and makes sense out of a lot of the, you know, kind of the stumbling blocks, right. That a lot of people have like, you know, like some of the alleged, you know, supposed contradictions and the fact that we have two different creation stories and, and obviously like the science doesn't add up and stuff like that. And, and he just lays it out in a way that you're like, ah, well, yeah, duh. (laughs) I mean, it's so good. Yeah.
4: You know what I love? Um, I'm going to go in a completely different direction here. I love how excited he is about it.
3: Yes, still.
4: So, 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 so excited. And, you know, I know one of the two of us often gets critiqued (laughs) for how much enthusiasm they bring to these nerdy conversations. And then I talk to a guy like Timothy freaking Mackey, and I feel like I've been granted all the permission in the world (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to, to, to be as excited
3: as I am, I have to share something with you. Please do. So uh, we have we have two episodes after this one left for the rest of 2018, and so uh, just a little like secret surprise, where we have a special guest host on. Oh yes, uh, the next episode that comes out, and uh, so she and I are texting back and forth, like trying to come up with questions and all this stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> one of the things she said was, "I went back and listened to your earlier episodes." And I can tell like Adam's really like the, uh, the energetic one. And I just hope I brought enough energy. <laughs> I go, you're fine. <laughs> you're okay. He's got a lot of energy. Yeah. I was like, you're, you, you did fine. So yeah. Yeah.
4: Yeah. I can't, I can't help it, man. Hey, it you just, know what?
3: It would, I can't, it's just me. How but can, but how can you not be excited about stuff like this? Come on. I, come I, on. I, Are you alive? I mean, I, I don't
4: know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, uh, I know. I know. I'm not doing this for the paycheck. Yeah, for sure. I mean, come on. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. We're not rich yet. Seriously. <laughs> so, but you know, the other thing that I just loved about this last thing, because I just I hope if if people are in kind of a similar similar place to me, one of the most difficult things about your worldview no longer being simple. So if you're in a place where your worldview used to be, you know, like, oh, my denomination just kind of tells me all the answers to all these questions. And it's just, you know, like catechism, here's a question, here's an answer, here's a question, here's an answer, here's a question, here's an answer. Yeah, sure. Okay. But if you get to the point where you're really taking this stuff, like, I don't want to sound like I'm talking down to people, but like when you take it a little bit more seriously and you realize it's more complicated than that, Mm. that can be very destabilizing, especially if you have kids. Yes, and I loved I loved how he talked about the conversation with kids, and I would just encourage everybody uh, if that resonated with you, kind of bookmark this episode. I thought he said some really, really good stuff. I know that I've already taken a lot of it to heart, and um, yeah, it's just really it's really good stuff. and man, for anybody that thinks that we're like wanting to throw out the Bible or you know anything like that, I, I hope by now <laughs> we've set the record straight that this this whole project of deconstruction and reconstruction is is nothing more than encouraging people to take the take the journey to take it seriously don't let somebody take it for you and if anything get more serious about it not not
3: less yeah and, and part of the reason that we've we've done now this is our you know, our second bible series is so that you can hear some different perspectives and and ways to encounter the bible in a way that that uh, um, allows you to see beauty in it, and and so so some of you may be out there who have struggled with the Bible. I know I've got plenty of friends who, at one point or another, looked at me and they're like, "Man, I just there's some stuff in the Bible. I, I'm having a hard time getting past or getting through." Um, and I'm just saying, look, man, there there are some folks out there. There's some resources. At your disposal, whether it's, you know, this podcast with Dr. Timothy Mackey, or, you know, the previous podcast that we did with Jared Bias, or our first Bible series with Dr. Alexander Shia, like, there are some people out there who are doing some outstanding work. Doesn't N.T.
4: Wright have a podcast now?
3: Yes, Ask N.T. Wright Anything, I think. (laughs) Anything! You can ask N.T. Wright Anything. Well, I know what our first question would be. Can you please narrate Harry Potter for me? Seriously, please. I mean, if no one asked that question, shame
4: on you. And if you have a spare minute, maybe all of the Lord of the Rings yes. also. That'd be, that'd <laughs> <Yeah>. be fantastic. <laughs> so, yeah. But but like John said, you know, it you get to that point where you're like, ah, I don't know if I can X, Y, Z about the Bible anymore. That's the entry point. That's when we should start to actually get excited because now you're thinking critically. Don't give up there. That's actually prerequisite to starting to actually get to some really, really good stuff because that means you're wrestling and you're ready to wrestle. Yes. So that is good. That should be
3: enabled. That should be encouraged. That should be welcomed. Yeah, and just and just, like, <clears throat> just like different uh, Christians across the spectrum view a whole... Like gamut of topics in, in in different ways. Like different scholars within uh, this field view the Bible differently, and so there's not just one way uh, to view the Bible or read the Bible. So if you come from like I don't know, not to pick on our, our fundy friends, but if you come from a more fundamentalist background, and and now you're kind of kicking against that, and you're saying like ah, I'm. I'm just, I'm telling you, don't throw the Bible out yet. There are other ways uh, to view this. Thing. Yeah, now it's, time, now it's time to actually start having some fun. Yeah. So to just
4: name a few, um, obviously the Bible Project, obviously NC Wright, you know, Tim Mackey mentioned some really good ones on here. Richard Rohr has got a great resource on the Bible. Rob Bell obviously just came out with like a freaking New York Times bestseller yeah. and it's, and it's what excellent. What is the Bible? And it's excellent. It's a lot of great stuff to think about. Pete Enns has a new book coming yes. out that looks absolutely brilliant. Uh, check out David Bentley Hart. Check out, you know, check out a lot of the great... Marcus Borg. Marcus Borg would be phenomenal. Check out, you know, John Dominic Crossan. Check mm-hmm. out... has Just just freaking get into it. It's a conversation. It's always been a conversation. It's still a conversation. And this used to be a problem in, mm-hmm. in, in the ancient world as well, which made Paul write to his church in Corinth. Some of you say you follow Peter. Some say you follow Apollo. Some say you follow Paul, but who are any of these people, but just servants like stop it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it all works together. Like the, the, the point is to engage and, and do so uh, lovingly and inclusively. I think so yeah. that's my little soapbox.
3: Sorry. I'm feeling a little, no, I love it, man. a little hot. I love it. And I wouldn't even restrict yourself to, to Christian scholars. Definitely not. Like, I I feel silly to have to say this, but uh, Jews wrote the the Bible, the whole, all of it.
4: Jesus was a Jew. Wait, so was Paul. Oh, Peter, John. Oh, how
3: dare you? I think they were all Jewish. So all I'm saying is, is maybe look at some Jewish scholars. And so one of the things I've been doing recently is just devouring uh, different Jewish perspectives, specifically on the Hebrew Bible or what we call the old Testament and just trying to get a different perspective on verses. And stories that I've read a million times before and let me tell you it is eye-opening and beautiful and I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm seeing things with with fresh eyes and I can't recommend it enough. so like you know um, people out there like uh, Rabbi David Wolpe and, and Rabbi um, Arthur Green and Rabbi Jonathan Sachs and there's I mean countless others that you could uh, you know find books at your local bookstore and, and just like I say, get into it. Get into it. (laughs) Um, Before I forget, uh, people have been asking for coffee mugs. We got the coffee mugs now. The coffee mugs are up on our web store. Um, I don't think we've updated the website per se yet, so they don't show up on our actual website. But if you click on the link to the web store that links you to our Square shop thing or whatever, they're there. So you can get a coffee mug. Make a great Christmas present. You can deconstruct some coffee. What else we got on there? Uh, We just replenished our pint glasses, so we got pint glasses on there. Pint glasses. We got a bazillion different t-shirt designs on there that are all very soft unisex t-shirts. So you could be a dude or lady, and they will work
4: (laughs) for either one. Boom. Well, we love you guys. Um, Thanks for hanging with us and nerding
3: out with uh, Dr. Timothy Freakin' Mackey. And thank you to uh, the Grey Havens. uh, That's the music we used on this uh, episode fantastic band so go check them out in the show notes um we'll play their their single at the end of this episode uh after we get done talking
4: gray havens isn't that a lord of the rings reference might be i think it is isn't Ooh. that isn't that where frodo goes after everything's all said and done with the elves might it might be called the gray havens i don't know but a great metal band would be mordor <laughs>
3: <laughs> all right that's an well, i'm too tired i'm rambling i <laughs> know me too All right, well, love you guys. Thank you guys so much for supporting us on Patreon. Uh, As always, uh, biggest way you guys can help us out, honestly, is just to give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That helps us uh, get exposed to other people. Um, Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell strangers. They'll think it's super uh, weird and great. Um, And then if you like the music that we use on the website, or on the website, see, I'm tired too. On the podcast. On the podcast, uh, please support those artists by their music. And if you want to, you can follow our... um, Spotify playlist that we update every episode with uh, music by the artists that we use on the show Yep, so awesome guys
4: Merry Christmas everybody
3: Merry Christmas and all that stuff, happy holidays
4: we love you, keep deconstructing for now we're your hosts, I'm Adam Narlock
3: and I'm John Williamson
1: so here we go like mist and water that's here and gone but here we'll stay forever be back someday look all I know is I believe it's gonna change at the moment when the trumpets blow and all I see all I see I believe is gonna change inside the walls of eternity so here we go Cause forever is in my soul. It's in my Cause I'll be changed in a moment when I take that step, when I'm called back home, I know and I'll know, cause forever is in my soul, it's in my soul. Think we know at the future's gonna be so bright when you turn...